Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Can you believe it's season three of The Steam Room? Oh, Ernie Johnson and Charles Barkley. Have you ever heard the term music to your ears? Oh, that fits the description that perfectly. That fits the description perfectly. And you know what else is cool, Chuckster? This is the first time in a long time that we've been face to face. Face to face and not on a Zoom thing. I'm just glad to be back in the studio. Y'all, this studio might look small. It only looks like that because it is. <laughs> <laughs> It is so awesome to be back, man. Some yeah. normalcy. Yeah, it's very good. And um, I've missed doing it this way, where where we look at each other and have conversations. It's one thing to be on these screens and yeah. do that and have guests join us that way. But And by the way, we're, we have a very special guest. I'm not going to tell you who it is yet uh, coming up in just a bit here on the Steam Room. Great guest, though. It is. You're, you're absolutely right. But we're going to start this episode the way we start all the episodes, and that is... Uh, with Chuck's favorite phrase, first of all. First of all, you know you have a lot of money when you get hunting nut Cheerios. I've had the regular Cheerios. First of all, you know anybody ride a motorcycle who makes millions of dollars is an idiot. First of all, zero plus zero is zero. First of all, first of all, first uh, of all. What you got for first of all here in our first show of season three? Ernie, I just want to say I am so excited, like, as a player, and I'm not a player anymore, obviously. The season starting is the most awesome thing for any jock in any sport. I mean, I'm just so pumped because when you play sports, pro sports, the end's going to come sooner than later. So you don't really start appreciating the first start of the season until you probably get to double-digit years. If you're blessed to get there, it's just so awesome. So I just want to welcome all the NBA fans back, fans in the arena. I want to say this again and again. Sports suck without fans. Sports flat out sucks without fans. I went to my first football game in a year and a half. War Eagle to my Auburn people. I went down. Let me, I have a feeling I know what game you went to, Chuck. This breaks my heart. Ernie, I want to say this, and it breaks my heart. The Georgia Bulldogs had the best football team in the country. I appreciate that. And I that. saw them in person, and they are flat out awesome. So congratulations. Go ahead and finish this thing. So, but I was just glad to be back in Auburn. I look forward to going down there all the time. But just to be back there with 100,000 fans, it was amazing. So shout out to my Auburn people. We haven't seen each other in a while. So what'd you do? How was the summer? You look, you look awesome. Thank you. How much, how much weight have you 37 lost? pounds. I got about 40 more to go. How did it, how, did, how have you done that? Uh, you know, I, number one, I just had to start doing something physical. I did a lot of working out. I play golf every single day. I stopped eating late at night. You know, because, you know, my doctor, Dr. Andrews, who I love, he's been my doctor. He's the best. He says, Chuck, you got two good hips now. He says, about time you to get your fat ass in shape. All that doctor speak. Yeah, yeah, doctor speak. He says, you see a lot of fat young people. You don't see no fat old people. <laughs> so it's time to get in shape. So I, I, that, that's been my goal. And I, I'm going to keep going because I'm starting to feel great. Yeah. So I just feel so much better. So I'm getting that. 
um, ready. Let me tell you something. I, it's You've done a lot of stuff, Saturday Night Live, et cetera, et cetera, uh, commercials, Cap One, you know, with Spike and those things. But your voiceover work on these Subway commercials <laughs> is absolutely that's the best thing I've heard from you, Chuck. Well, it's hilarious. It's, you know what's really funny? Shout out to Subway and uh, Tom Brady, Steph Curry, Serena, uh, Marshawn Lynch, Russell Crowe. Not Russell Crowe, uh, Russell Wilson. Russell Crowe, shout out to you too. I haven't, I haven't seen Russell in a long time, uh, but shout out to Russell Crowe. But Russell Wilson, shout out. And the thing that's really funny about the commercials, you know, I'm just a voice, and I'm in the studio, and they're screaming at me the whole time, "Speed up, speed up!" And I was like, "Nobody talks like that." They're like, "It'll work in the commercial," and it's hilarious. I like, I'm reading avocado and french bread and artesian roll multigrain they're like no you gotta say it faster and when they put it together i'm like okay it does work but i was laughing my ass off like this is gonna be the stupidest commercial in the world how long were those sessions two hours okay how many of them i've done three so far three two-hour sessions and i just taped the one with oh uh marshawn lynch Russell Wilson and Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And I just saw the Trevor Lawrence one. So you had to wonder sometimes when you were doing this, why am I saying this? Yeah. Trevor Lawrence, you're not a sandwich. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and they, then when I saw the commercial, he that's just like they, they show like three sandwiches and Trevor Lawrence. I'm like, Trevor Lawrence, you're not a sandwich. Uh, but, you know, they, the, the Subway people, been, and I actually like Subway. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, that's, yeah. that's good. If yeah. you're going to be a spokesman, you should like the product. Yeah. Well, Cheetah Tail Shack that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm Shout in, out, Chuck. I'm in regular season form on the first podcast. Uh, but uh, it's been a great uh, collaboration with Subway. So, guys, I want to talk a little basketball now, My first of all. Uh, you know, it's a lot of talk going on about uh, uh, Kyrie. And like I said, I've said my piece on Kyrie. I think everybody should get vaccinated. And I hear people say, well, it's my right. It is your right. And uh, you have that right. But you don't get vaccinated for yourself. You get vaccinated for the people around you. Your son, the camera guy, the camera girl, I get vaccinated for them. Uh, Your grandkids, I'm going to be around your grandkids. I want to be vaccinated. So I'm not going to beat that dead horse. I just think everybody, please get vaccinated, not just for yourself, but for the people around you. Listen, another big story is Ben Simmons. Uh, There's a lot of fault to go around. I hear all these people on television trying to blame other people. Hey, listen, the first blame goes to Ben Simmons. Listen, Ben, uh, I don't know you that well. But your number one objective when you play professional sport is to get better at your sport. When somebody paying you $35, $40 million, they have the right to ask you to get better as a basketball player. That's the number one thing. You should want to get better as a basketball player. The 76ers deserve some blame, too. They let you get one coach fired and a new coach who, hey, everybody likes Doc Rivers. But every time we had him on TV, he's defending you. And now you don't want to be with him anymore because he asked you to get better as a basketball player. He said, hey, I don't know. But he's always on television talking about, you want me to bench Ben Simmons? You want me to take Ben Simmons out the game? Well, if you're just going to stand out there and not shoot the ball, yeah, his obligation is to the rest of the team. Joel B, you know, me and Shaq being hard on you because we think you should be the best player in the NBA. I like what you said. I'm not babysitting anymore. I'm going to lead my guys, be the best player in the game. You got off to a great start last night, winning by 20. But hey, listen, the NBA, we're not babysitters. We all get paid a lot of money to do our job. So, Ben, don't come in if you're just going to come in and half-ass it. That's not fair to the team. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to the organization. So, listen, this thing's probably going to end badly. Uh, It's going to end badly. Let's get that out the way. 
But listen, man, I don't care where you go. Your employer has the right to ask you to get better as a basketball player. You don't get to mope around and be upset. I mean, hey, I've had great coaches in my career. I remember the first time uh, Billy Cunningham told me I was fat and lazy. It hurt my heart, but I was fat and lazy. I did. I, I, I actually went home and cried. I was like, this dude called me fat and lazy, told me I wasn't getting to play. It hurt my feelings. But you know what? Probably the best thing you ever Best thing ever. Ever heard. Best yeah. thing ever. Because I was fat and lazy. I got a question for you. Sure. Ben Simmons had to sit out that first game suspended by the team. They open up Friday against the Brooklyn Nets. Do you play him? No, no chance. Two things are telling, Ernie. He hasn't been practicing. They made a mistake. They should have suspended him for longer than one game. He's not going to have a better attitude after 24 hours. And one really telling thing to me about, uh, so I, I, obviously I'm in Philly, so I pay attention to everything. Hearing Joel Embiid and the players say he's been at practice for five days and hasn't spoken to a single player. Like, even if you got a problem with your team, you don't go to practice and not talk to your teammate. Will he play at all for the Sixers this year? No, he will not. And I'm going to tell you why. He has broken the bond with the city of Philadelphia. They're not going to have this. <laughs> I know Philadelphia well. I think they would have given him a second chance if he had a came into camp, busted his hump, and started the season playing hard. But when you come in, you're practicing with a cell phone in your pocket. You don't talk to your teammates. They're not going to give him a second chance now. So uh, it's time to move on, uh, make the best trade possible. And close the book on this. Yes, close the book on this. I, I told him if they can get C.J. McCollum, Bradley Beal, I think your team will be better instantaneously. But you got to – it's over now. Because it, it, it's two bonds on a team, Ernie. Your teammates and the fans. He's broken both of those. <laughs> you can't survive on breaking both of those. So that's it, brother. I got you. That's uh, that's first of all for this first episode of season Ooh, three. We back in the studio. <laughs> we are. And man, wait till you see who walks in the studio next. We'll be back. We welcome you back. To the steam room. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> our first episode of season three. And do you talk about uh, special guests? Well, here's what I was going to. I was going to pose philosophical question. When does just an ordinary podcast become a great one? Oh, did you see what I did there, that Chuckster? Was so brutal right there. When the great one joins us in the steam room. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky is here, man. It's good to see you. Great to have you part of the family. Thank you. And look, our only rule on the steam room is that you keep your towel on. <laughs> Trust me, I will. <laughs> and I, I want you to know it's, it's so nice of you to introduce me nicely because yeah. Chuck's called me for 20 years, the pretty good one. Just so you know. He's the average one. <laughs> yes. Hey, so how does it feel to have a real job? <laughs> I mean, you've been retired for a yeah. long time. How's it uh, clocking in nine to five yeah. every day now? You know what? My mother-in-law is 100. And wow. When, when this all came about, she said, you're a young man. You need to do something every day. And I kind of looked at her and I said, you know what? You're right. That's how you stay young. Stay active, stay busy. I got to be honest with you. I knew I was going to like this. And everybody who knew me said, you're going to have so much fun. It's been more fun than I thought it was going to be. And I knew I was going to have a great time doing it. I'm loving it. And as you guys all know, 
the people here at Turner are all so nice. And that's because you knew. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, Ray. And Don King would say it's trickeration. Wait till you're three. Hey, year thirty-two. Here. Oh, congratulations. I can tell you, you're right. You're you're absolutely yeah. right. And uh, so it's not really a nine to five job, however. What time did you walk out of the studio last night? It's kind of a five to uh, 9 a.m. job. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we're loving it because, my goodness, we're watching hockey. And we've been so lucky. The first two nights that we've worked, the games have been really good. I think, and I don't know how the basketball guys compare, but I know the hockey guys are so energized that we have fans back. Yeah. I can't imagine. Can you imagine playing games and looking in the stands? It'd be like practicing every day. You just don't have the same energy. And I give the hockey guys credit. They played incredibly hard during the pandemic in the bubble. Yeah. And, you know, it felt more sorry for the Canadian teams because they were in a real bubble. They couldn't go to a grocery store. Their wives couldn't go shopping. They were in a real bubble. Now, in the U.S., there were some places that was a little bit more open. So it was a little bit different in each country, right? But I give these guys credit. Now with the fans in there, they're even playing harder and better. It's been wonderful. You see, that to me is so interesting what you said, because I thought this was a chance to be a turning point in sports. Right. Because I think the fans and the players over time have gotten separated. Right. I think there's some jealousy among the fans because the players are making a lot of money. I think the players have started to, because of social media, in different aspects of the media on television, they've kind of like, I don't want to be close to the fans. Right. But I think during the pandemic, we learned one thing. Sports really suck without fans. Oh, I couldn't man. imagine how to get myself motivated, especially, you go, you know, you're talking a two-month period. I mean, I thought the NBA did a fabulous job with pumping in music and things like that. And, you know, especially for a big game. Yeah. No, really, excuse me, I said the other way. Like, everybody's excited for the big games. Game one and game two. How's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think you're a point, but I'm hoping that now we're like, you know, man, we really need each other. Because I don't confuse the fans with social media idiots or talking heads on television who are trying to get hot takes. So but there's actually some real fans. Like, we're taping this thing now. I watched that New York Knicks-Boston Celtic game last night. And man, it was so exciting and so much fun. And so I'm glad to have the fans back. I agree with you. Yeah, and it's so important. And as you said, I think they've we've learned that the fans need the athletes and the athletes need the fans. And, yeah. and one of the things I, I also think we've learned, and I don't know if everyone agrees with this, but during this pandemic, which has been really tough on and hard for everyone, but for some people it was even harder. I think that the fans have, as you said, they look at the athletes and they see how much money they make mm -hmm. and they make a ton of money, but they don't see the stress and the pressure that goes with being a professional athlete. And now some of these athletes who have come out and said they, they have mental stress. I think that the fans are giving them the benefit of the doubt because of the pandemic. And they're looking at yeah. them saying, okay, I, I don't know if I agree with this totally, but I understand it more today because of what we went through with the pandemic. You know, I, I want to touch on that a second because you played a long time and I played a long time. Two of my biggest regrets are number one, I didn't stress education more when I was in college. Right. I wish I'd have told the guys that we really need to get that education. It worked out for me, but didn't work out for them. I, that's my biggest regret. But my second biggest regret is now that it, this mental health stuff is coming out, playing with guys, and we used to make fun of those guys, like, this dude got some issues. Can't handle the pressure. Yeah, but now... I'm like, we should have got that guy help. 
Yeah. Because, like, we're, we're not psychiatrists. No. We're stupid jocks. And you play <laughs> with guys. Hey, listen, they're ter- they good players, yeah. but they got a screw loose. And, you, you like, you used to joke about it behind their back. Yeah. So you ever think about that now? Listen, when I played in Edmonton especially, there's two ends of the pendulum. I dropped out in 11th grade to turn professional as a 17-year-old. And I played with a guy who went through six years of university and became a real doctor. And he has a practice in Edmonton now, and he was a five-time champion. And so there's a different sort of mindset with each guy. But we in Edmonton, and I give the organization, the ownership, and the coaching staff and general manager at that time, we were one of the first sports teams probably that hired a true psychiatrist or psychologist really? in the early 80s. And I think it really benefited our entire team because you came to an understanding of what some guys were going through. Because when you were a kid, you know, you're growing up and playing sports and you could see who played better under pressure, uh, who didn't excel under pressure. And as Charles said, we would look at it and say, gosh, this guy's got a screw loose. How can he not handle this? And I've said this before. I loved watching George Brett go up to bat. The bigger the game, the bigger the moment, the more at ease he seemed to be. It was pretty unique, right? And he thrived on that. And for other guys, they just couldn't handle the the stress and the pressure of it. Knowledge is so important in life and in sports. And we've come to an understanding now that there are athletes that just the the stress and pressure is tough for them to deal with. When was the first time you heard yourself described as the great one? Ten. Ten years old. And it was I was so mad. I, I remember reading the article. And the guy who wrote the story came down to do a story on me. And he said, you know, in hockey, they have Mr. Hockey, they have the Golden Jet, players of that caliber. And I'm 10 years old thinking, how can you compare me to those guys? I'm 10 years old, right? And he said, I'm going to name him the great one. And I can remember trying to stop it, my dad trying to stop it, and it continued on. Now, none of my teammates called me the great one ever, (laughs) the good one here, told me. What did they call you in the locker room? So I have more nicknames than any probably athlete ever. So in the locker room, I was called Mr. Douglas because I used to check in under my middle name in all the hotels. So all my teammates thought it was funny. So they call me Mr. Douglas. Mark Messier would always call me Mr. Wonderful, (laughs) which I thought was a cool name. And I was on a plane flight one time from New York to San Francisco. And it was one of those flights where the stewardesses kind of panicked and started running to the back of the plane. And I thought, oh my God, this is the end. (laughs) (laughs) And they came back and I'm like, is everything okay? And she goes, no, no, everything's fine with the plane. I think somebody back there is having a heart attack. And they went running back to the back of the plane. She comes back and I go, is everything okay? She goes, yeah, he's just having some anxiety. He's okay. And she goes, is anybody up here a doctor? And so I hit the call button because I'm an honorary doctor. I go, ding. She goes, really? And I go, yeah, I'm an honorary doctor. So she goes, she goes, that's not funny. And I said, well, my goodness, I wouldn't have said it if I thought the guy was really in trouble. And so I was telling the guys on the golf course. And so everybody in the golf world calls me Doc. So uh, I, I have too many nicknames, uh, put it that way. Nice move, Mr. Douglas. That was, uh, that was really smooth. Yeah, Chuckster. I'm going to throw a couple of numbers out. Okay. This is pretty amazing. Um, Just looking at your career, Wayne. And if you're not a hockey fan, look, assists and goals, total points. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you add those up, get your total points. So, so Wayne, our, our, our guest here, Wayne Gretzky is the NHL's leader in goals, assists 
and total points. Yes. Obviously. For now. It's, it's probably going to come to an end. For now, you say. Yeah. But the, the amazing thing about your assist number mm-hmm. is you had more assists in your career than anybody else has ever had total points. Yeah, and you know what's kind of funny about that is that, you know, I, I grew up and I, I really enjoyed being a playmaker, yeah. kind of like Steve Nash did in basketball, right? Right. I played one year of high school basketball. I wasn't good enough to make junior varsity or varsity. I played freshman team. They called me the biggest ball hog in the history. <laughs> sure all I thing. could see was that net. And I just, <laughs> I would just shoot and shoot. And they would say to me, why can't you see the court and pass like you do in hockey? And I would say, because I just want to score. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't make many, but I took the most shots every game. So you want Alex Ovechkin to surpass your record? Yeah, I think it's good for hockey. You know, some people don't believe me, but... My friends and the people I know, my inner circle, I've been saying this forever. It's only great for the sport. What he did as a player and what I did as an athlete, nobody can take away. I'm really proud of it. And I know how hard I worked to get to that level. Same as Chuck. But if he can do it, it's only good for our game. And we want to grow the game. We want to get bigger. And by him surpassing it is going to make our sport better. He's got, what, 734. Yeah. You've got uh, 894. I mean... Is this realistic? Oh, yeah, because the next two years are big for him. Yeah. Because the older you get, the harder it becomes, right? But I think if he can put up 45 this year and 45 next year, he's got a really legitimate chance. And when when I broke Gordy's record... Your idol, yeah, by the way. And I remember saying to my dad, in some ways I feel guilty. This is not right because he played in a different era, right? I played in the right era, I, I admit it. And he goes, you know what? Gordy is so proud of this that you make sure when somebody comes along and breaks your record that you feel as proud of him as Gordy does of you. And I always remembered that. And then I said, well, if this happens, I want to be treated like Gordy and Colleen Howe. The Kings flew him around on a private jet to follow me. I hope Mr. Leona sends that jet for Jen and I <laughs> so we can fly around. So, you know, and I, and I believe him. Yeah. Because I've said this before, Wayne and Tom Brady, are the two most humble goats superstars I've ever been around. Like, you know, I'm a sports junkie. Yeah. And I've asked hockey guys about Wayne privately. They're like, oh, he's always one of the guys. Everybody know he's Wayne Gray, but like, no, nah, he made you feel like one of the guys. And I saw uh, James Harrison, who, I, who I'm a big fan of. He says, yeah, when I got traded to New England, I want to hate Tom Brady. But you know what? This dude was so nice and so great to me. I was like, now I'm mad. I like this dude. And so people talk about Wayne and Tom the same way. They are so humble, but they go out of their way to be one of the guys. And that's a and that's a very honorable trait. Because, you know, I've been around superstars before. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to call any names. So how'd you maintain that balance? And not- My dad would hit me over the head. Yeah. But I, I would say this. Uh, one, that's why I'm enjoying the show so much. Because it's fun. It's like being in the locker room. And, you know, as we go along here, we're going to get even that much more comfortable with each other. Right. And I remember when I was talking about getting into this, I said, Who, who's ever on this has to be somebody I know because that person's got to be able to give it to me because that's what makes the show. Yes. You can't have somebody who doesn't know me that's intimidated to say something negative about what I'm wearing and what I'm saying or, or arguing with me. So that's been a great thing about our show so far. And secondly, I don't remember Julius Irving or Gordy Howe or Bobby Orr ever being called the goat. When did this goat thing start? <laughs> because sometimes I'm like, how old am I that I'm a goat? <laughs> well, I know I, it's a I respect think, factor. Yeah, but 
when people talk about the goat, it, it, it's, it's a tremendous, tremendous compliment. I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, what is a goat? It goes back to <laughs> My kids had to Ali. tell me. It goes back to Ali, but, but there's like every sport because, okay, let, let's take golf. There's a lot of great golfers. But the greatest of all time, the goat, is? Tiger. And that's no disrespect to Jack Nicklaus or Arnold Palmer or Gary Player because there's a lot of great players, a lot of great players. But you think about the NBA. We're doing the 75 anniversary now. The two most important figures are Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. They saved the NBA. So those two guys, to me, are the most important people. And they are, and I love both of those guys, what they did for me and my family. But then Michael, Kobe, LeBron, and now Giannis, there's been a lot of great players. But that's only going to be four guys who you like, who going to move the needle. And that's no disrespect to all the other guys. Like in Wayne's sport, you know, he talk about Mr. Howell. Yeah, in Philly, we had Barbara Clark and those guys, the Broad Street, Street Bullies. I used to, you know what? When I was watching hockey as a teenager, when the Atlanta Flames were down here, Tom Lysiak and that crew, yeah. Jacques Richard was their first pick. But I used to go to those games and I'd see Dave Schultz, yeah. Bob Kelly, the Hound, and these, yeah. and, and, and some of these. Boom re- Boom Jeff Ryan was coaching. Boom Boom was coaching. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky. I played one game in the Omni. Did you really? Yes. And you know the game I played? The arena was sold out. Not because of me. I was an 18-year-old kid. Nobody knew who, who I really was. It was Jim Craig's first NHL game after he won a gold medal. Wow. And it was the most amazing thing to look in the stands, and it was all American flags. It was like being in the Olympic Games, right? Right. So I got one game, and the atmosphere was over the top. So yeah. I had a special night here. No, that's where I got my love of the game back in those Atlanta Flames days. Can you do that Rain Man thing? What's that? I got a friend, uh, Roy Green. And I hate giving Roy a compliment. <laughs> Remembering like, everything? Everything. I had this guy come up to me one day and he said, you know, I played against you once when I was 10 years old. And I said to him, okay, wh- what team were you on? And he told me the team, Detroit Slavers. And I said, oh, you guys wore blue and green uniforms. We beat you 9-1. I got eight goals and your goalie was left-handed. And he goes, I was the goalie. <laughs> 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 that must have been the Jan- day they hung the great one on you when you were <laughs> but, 10. But if, yeah, that was the year. But yeah. if Janet would call me and say, pick up tomatoes on the way home from practice, I couldn't remember. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, see, my friend Roy, who I love like a brother, like we'll be playing golf and we'll be sitting around drinking some beers after the round and guys would be saying, well, what you shoot? And I was like, I don't remember what I shot. And he says, well, the first hole you had a four, <laughs> second hole you had a six. And I'm like, he can go through 18 holes. Let's back that up. You had a four? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, thank you very much. Maybe Roy does. Hey, maybe you're, he's not you're, that you're memorable. You're really easy. That was a layup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the only, let's see, on the front, the only hole you didn't have a snowman was the fifth. He took a seven No, there. but I've seen him play now. He's, oh, no, he's, he's, he's really Yeah, and up. Charles can attest to this. People don't realize when we go to charity golf tournaments and golf events, Everyone looks at us and says, oh, they're an athlete. They should be a good golfer. And there's more pressure on us on the golf course. And that's how you get nervous. And that's how you stress out. And and that's what some days I go, why am I doing this? Hey, hey, let me tell you something. Once you hit the first person, the day is over. Yeah. You can hit four or five in one day. When you play like at a pro-am, and these fools are standing right here. And they're watching. Like like they're they're watching watching like a real pro. No, I'll be playing with Dustin and Pebble. And I go, are you guys kidding? I'm not Dustin. Get out of the way. We we played together one time in Tahoe, and it was the last hole. And him and I were 
58 and 59 out of 60. Okay. I hit my last ball into this tree and it sticks in the tree, right? <laughs> so he comes walking over. I go, Chuck, my ball's up there. And he knocks it out of the tree, right? And he goes, it's a good thing you're not playing with Scotty Hamilton. <laughs> I said, maybe not. Maybe just keep the ball. Hey, what's it? You know, so, so how is your golf game improved or how has it changed? And for you folks who don't know, Dustin Johnson mm-hmm. is, is about to be your son-in-law because Paulina right. and Dustin are going to be married in April. Listen, one thing about Dustin, he's a savant, savant in golf. The year he won the Masters on 13, the par five, he hit it up to the right in the rough. So he was in the rough and it was in November that year. So the course was wet. And when he won the tournament, we were on the airplane flying back to Florida, which was one of the great flights of my life I'll with bet. Dustin and her family and Claude Harmon. It, it was just wonderful. And I said to him, can I ask you one question? On 13, your second shot, you hit it about this high off the ground because he, he laid up in front of the creek there on the par five. And I said, did you miss your shot? He goes, no, no, no. He said, I hit a four iron because I had mud on my ball and I wanted it to run through the grass and clean the ball off for my next shot. And I'm sitting there going, who thinks of that? Mm. We would have taken a seven iron, hit it in the air, landed, had more mud on it, right? Exactly. So he really loves the game. I was sitting in the grill one day and he knows I I never go up to the range. I don't practice. I said, it's not going to change my game. I just want to go play, (laughs) right? And so I said, go hit some balls. I'll watch some football when you come back. This older gentleman comes walking in and he's in tears, one of the members. And I got, oh my God, what happened out there? And he says to me, you don't understand. I had the greatest hour of my life. Dustin walked by me and said, sir, can I help you with your game? And he worked on my game for an hour. And that's who he is. He's just, he's a great kid. He's a wonderful guy. He loves the game of golf and he knows a lot about it. But listen, I, I don't practice. I'm, I'm like, Chuck, I just like to have fun. Boy, go out there and oh play boy. with my buddies. I'm not going to get any better. Like you in basketball, like me in hockey, I know how hard we work to get there. I'm not going to work that hard to become a four handicap because <laughs> I'm enjoying my life as yeah. an 11 handicap yeah. and I'm having fun. How cool is it? Do you get to work with your son here? Yeah. You know what? I was telling Ernie earlier, I love baseball. And so I wanted to name my first daughter Gordy. My wife nixed that. <laughs> well, I'm being honest. And I said, okay, I get to name my second one. So I named him Ty after Ty Cobb because I love baseball, right? He was my hockey guy. <laughs> he loves hockey. Yeah. We do hockey camps all over North America. He's working with me here at Turner. And, you know, he's one of my best friends and I love it. He's my son. He just had a little baby girl and there's no better life than having mm. family that you just... Oh my gosh, it's the best. This baseball thing, you say you love it. How did this come about? So when I grew up, I don't know, I was one of those kids that in April, I threw my hockey equipment in the basement. I couldn't wait to play baseball. And in those days, the Blue Jays and the Expos were just starting to make traction in Canada and baseball was just starting to come on. And then guys like Larry Walker, who just went in the Hall of Fame, kind of even took it to another level. In those days, Canada wasn't part of the draft. Paul Beeston, who was president of a baseball club at that time, came to my house. He offered me a $150,000 signing bonus. I was 16 years old. I was going to start in Winston-Salem. 
I was about to sign and my dad grabbed the pen and said, you're going back to 10th grade. <laughs> that ended my baseball career. What position were you playing? Up there, I played shortstop and pitcher. Yeah, as the best athlete will do on a team. But I, I loved it. I just loved the game. I love the thinking part of it, the fundamentals of the sport. I just truly, I couldn't get enough of baseball. So you come up in the National Hockey League and you're not a big guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, what do you weigh? 150, 160 pounds? My first year, 145. Yeah, and uh, and I read a couple of quotes. One, Dennis Potvin, yeah. a great defenseman for yeah. the Islanders, mm-hmm. uh, who said trying to hit you was uh, was like trying to wrap your arms around fog. <laughs> <laughs> and every now and then, my friends call me yeah. foggy. <laughs> yeah, and and the and the other thing goes back to what you were talking about, Chuck, about you know being able to excel, but doing it with grace and with dignity and with, you know, and just not letting it change you. But he said, when he's playing against you and he really, he hadn't built up any kind of a hatred for you and and opponents never did. And he said, it'd be like running Gandhi into a corner. (laughs) You know, I always tell people this. I knew when Dennis Potvin was drinking Gatorade on the bench because he was the one guy I feared because he was good enough and he was agile enough and he was big enough that he was the one guy I thought, okay, this guy can really hurt me. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, and you know, that he was a clean player, I, I got through it. Yeah. But, you know, part of what you do, I played out of fear. I wasn't a big guy and you play hard, you play fast. And my dad told me at a young age, moving target is tougher to hit than a target that's standing still. And that's kind of what I lived by. You reference your dad a lot. I know what he meant to you. Yeah. Can you kind of explain to our podcast what your dad yeah taught you and meant to you well he was so proud his parents were immigrants in the 20s and he was so proud of the fact of being born and raised in canada both his mom and dad barely spoke english for 30 years so he loved the fact that he got this great opportunity to be in north america and live a normal life live a hard life but one with rewards and he was he was a representative of the country because we're a blue-collar country, the country of Canada. And he was genuine. My dad was rich in love, not rich in money. And people grasped to that. They, they looked at him as, okay, that's what our mentality is as a country. He had a brain aneurysm uh, in 1991. He should never have got through it. He had two nine-hour surgery on his brain. He was five years basically in clinics and all that goes with that. And if you saw him in the sixth year, you would never know that he had a brain aneurysm, never really talked about it. And so I remember I called my mom one time and my godmother and his sister lived in Vancouver. And I said, oh, is dad there? And she goes, no, he's flying from Toronto to Vancouver today to go spend a week with his sister. And I said, well, who's flying with him? She goes, nobody. I said, well, when he gets there, what happens if he gets confused and lost? And he goes, she said, He's the most famous guy up here. Somebody will get him to that house. <laughs> that's the way my mom looked at it. So he was a special man. Yeah. And he got you started. I mean, he had the, did he build the rink yeah. at your house? Well, he used to take me to outdoor parks and ponds and I'd skate for hours and hours. I don't know why. I just loved it. Right. And finally he said one day, it's too cold. I'm going to build a rink in the backyard and I can sit in the kitchen and drink hot tea and watch him skate for hours. And that's how the rink was built. Simple as that. And you called it Wally. Wally's rink. Wally's yeah. rink. Yeah, it was pretty special. Yeah, and you lost him. I mean, you lost him this year, right, Wayne? You know, listen, as I said earlier, everybody's suffered through this pandemic. It's been hard for the whole world and some people harder than others. When my dad 
got to the end, we, we were called and said, you know, he, he doesn't have much time. You better get up here. And so we were fortunate enough to get up there as a family and we sat around and he spent 21 days. He kept battling. My dad's a very strong Christian and he believes in God and believes in life after death. But he loved life so much, he held on. And the minister and the doctor would tell me every day, I think he's got about 24 hours. And after two weeks of hearing this, I said, you don't know my dad. He's not going anywhere. (laughs) So it was tough for all of us. But as any parent, if you lose a parent, it's Mm -hmm. the worst thing in the world. It's just horrible. And I I think it speaks to your heart, too. You've relocated to St. Louis now, right? right? Mm -hmm. Janet's mom is 100. Yeah. And her mom, two years ago, because she wanted to, went and passed her driver's license. Now, we don't let her drive, but that's how <laughs> together she is. She just wanted to prove to people she, she could, could do, do it. it do right? So she lives there, and we talked about it. We want to spend more time with her. So by moving to St. Louis and coming to with that sort of idea, that led to this Turner situation in Atlanta. I couldn't do this if I was living in California. It's too hard to travel back and forth that far. But being in St. Louis... And then spending time in Florida with the grandkids, it's an easy hop, skip, and a jump. So it's everything's timing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited about it. I'm so happy, and we're thrilled that we get to spend more time with Janet's mom. It's a good life, isn't it? It's a great life. And my dad told me as a kid, I remember one time I said, oh, I wish it was that guy. And I was like eight years old, and my dad said, you don't ever wish to be somebody else. You be yourself. Wow. Chuckster, wrap it up for us. Have you got one more for Wayne? I do. I think it's hard for us in the United States. Can you tell us what hockey means in Canada? Oh, I'll tell you how big hockey is in Canada. And you guys will appreciate this. The national sport of our country is box lacrosse, but nobody would ever get that answer right. The sport of basketball was invented by a Canadian. Yes. Hockey is a religion. You get married, you go to church, you have kids, and you watch hockey or you play hockey. (laughs) That's what it means to our country. It's everything. It's just people live and die it. And they love all sports, but they just love hockey. My last thing, is it Connor Bedard? Is that the kid's name? New young boy. Yeah, who is, what, 16 years old? And, and And he will be the next... Connor McDavid. The next thing in the NHL when he when he works his way up through through the ranks. He's got a couple of years to go, but he's going to be good. And the reason I bring the, his name up is because you reached out to him. Mm-hmm. And he, and he thought he was being pranked. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't realize really when the, when the phone rang. And here's the number he doesn't recognize. Picks it up, and it's you on the other end. And he said he was speechless. And then he was thinking somebody's doing this to me. But that's him, though, Ernie. That's a perfect example. It's for somebody like you mm-hmm. to reach out and and you talk about growing the game with records being broken and that kind of thing. But this is also like just handing down to the next generation. You know, people always see the great side of it. And this kid is great. And he's a wonderful young man. But they don't understand the stress and the pressure that this young man has. And I went through it. Mm -hmm. And I just called and reached out to him and said, A, listen, congratulations, you're a phenom. Good for you. But the biggest thing is enjoy it and work hard every day and just love the game. And that was really the message I wanted to send to him. You're young, right? Yeah. My dad always said, by the time you figure out what I'm telling you is right, your kids are going to think you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, uh, uh, Wayne, that's so profound what you're saying because people see you on television. Not right. you. I'm talking about when you are great at a yeah. sport. They see you on television. They see you how much money you make. Yeah. 
they have zero idea how much stress, because not only are you trying to be great at your sport, right? you actually have a normal life too. I said this, and I, and I meant this in the nicest way, to be a good athlete, you have to be selfish. And I mean that in a good way, because when you're playing, that's your life. Yeah. So the people around you, your wife, your parents, your kids, your best friends, they have to understand. So the, to me, the best athletes are the most selfish guys because they love their sport. This has been um, awesome. Yeah, yeah, in a word, it has been. Steam room's getting hot. We know why they call you the great one. Thank you so much. I had a ball with you guys. You guys are wonderful. We appreciate you. Great to have you as part of the family. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and great to have you as the first guest of season three yes. of the Steam Room. We're glad you kept your towel on. Trust me, I ain't taking it off. We will continue with the, the always popular Chuck's answering machine when we come back. Chuck's answering machine. I love that one. Chuck and Ernie in Steam Room. Come and join us in Steam Room. Chuck and Ernie in Steam Room. Leave your towel on in Steam Room. Uh, that remains uh, one of the moments on the Steam Room. And how about my man from Phoenix coming up with it? <laughs> that was an even catchier theme song got even catchier when lyrics were added. You know what? After the show today, I just want to say... Man, it is so good to do this thing in person. Yes. The energy is so much better. I mean, you can have energy on Zoom, but it ain't the same as being around all the people. And you're sitting here and we're talking to Wayne Gretzky. Yes. Yeah, that but, was yeah. that was tremendous. I love Wayne Gretzky. That version of the theme with the lyrics actually was a product of Chuck's answering machine once upon a time. 404-987-0330 if you want to leave the Chuckster a message. This is always one of our favorite parts. Yes. That because you never know where the calls are going to come from. We get, uh, they span the globe. My man from Gladiator. What's my, my beer man name? Stav. Hey, Stav. Hey, look, you can't wait on any shipments from overseas these days. So many shipments are just Wait a minute. Stockpiled. We met Stav before the pandemic. And I know, but you try to, yeah, it's a good point. Um, <laughs> let's go to the phones. You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America. Hello, this is Deloitte Steema from Berlin. I just wanted to tell you that I'm very fond of your podcast. I never played basketball myself, but I'm very much intrigued by the United States. I follow other podcasts, but yours is currently my favorite one. Okay, my question for Charles. I could relate to you very well when you said that you ride your bike on a daily basis, and I wondered when you said that you had purchased an old one, if I remember correctly what it looks like. I ride an old bike myself, a rusty one. <laughs> yeah, and I wondered, is it a classical one? Is it a mountain bike? Okay, thank you for bringing your country into my living room in Berlin. And uh, continue, continue. So a call from Berlin, Germany. Wow. And she was asking about your bicycle. Yeah, so number one, I've never been to Berlin, but I love Munich, Germany. And you like yourself some Oktoberfest, don't you? Well, I got to tell this story because first of all, it's going to make me sound like a damn idiot, but. That's a stunner. <laughs> so I've been trying to go to Oktoberfest like the last three years. I was telling my girl, Christy, uh, who handles my life. I said, hey, get me and three of my friends tickets to Oktoberfest. We're going to go. And she says, I'm having a hard time finding this, blah, blah, blah. Next year, same thing. Next year, same thing. Finally, I called uh, one of my German friends. I said, yo, man. 
what's up with Oktoberfest? I want to go. I've been trying to go for like four years. And when, when is it? He says, oh, it's in September. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, Oktoberfest is in September. And what's the explanation? I know. I just got to go in September. Why is it Oktoberfest? That's exactly what I said. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. But to get back to your point, so my bike is the one with the big fat tires. Some people say it's usable on the beach. Some people say it's a mountain bike. I just ride it on the street. That's one of the really cool things since I've lost all the weight that I, I love riding my bike because I don't even feel like I'm working out. I just put on my music and ride for an hour, hour and a half, two hours. And I was like, I just took a bike ride. But you clearly you're burning a lot of calories. But I got to buy it with the big fat tires. That's the way I feel about the Peloton. Too. Yeah. I love the See, Peloton. I got man. tired of being in, indoors. Oh, oh, man, I love that thing. I'm addicted to that thing. Are man. you? Yeah, shout out Alex Toussaint, and, uh, Hannah Frankson, uh, Sam Yo. There's just a few of the uh, instructors on there. I've lost more than 20 pounds, too, just doing the Peloton. My daughter bought me a Peloton about three years ago. And he's got some really good clothes hanging, hanging on, on it. it. Yeah, I can hear you. All right. Let's uh, <laughs> let's go back to the phone. Designer stuff, though. Hey, good morning. Chuck, oh, my name is Paul. I'm from Caracas, Venezuela. And I want to ask you, what is your favorite pair of sneakers? Uh, thank you for your podcast. You and Ernie, you know, made my day very happy. I had to drive. I love because of my work and I hope, you know, always listening to you guys. Thank you. And have a good day. Bye-bye. Appreciate the call Venezuela. from Venezuela. Venezuela. That's amazing. Man, you know, that is so cool that we got Berlin, we got Venezuela. We got my man last year who was in Gladiator. Uh, we got my man staff. Just it's so cool for the support that the people give us. I, I think I need to go to Venezuela. You know, I, I want to travel the world. I'm not getting any younger, but Venezuela, man, that was pretty cool. Wanted to know your favorite, your favorite. Oh, my favorite pair, pair of sneakers. Yeah. You know, I'm so lucky and blessed that I had my own shoes with Nike. So I don't think I could pick a favorite pair because every year when they unveil your shoe, you're like a kid in a candy store. There's only probably 10 to 15 people in the history of sports, or maybe a couple more, who had their own signature shoe. So I tell you what, I love Nike, what they've done for me. But I remember the first time they gave me my signature shoe, I was like, number one, I called everybody. But I think probably if I had to pick one pair, uh, one of my pair for the Phoenix Suns, because I love the color combination. You know, the Sixers were red, white, and blue, basically. And I had some really cool shoes in Philly. But the black and purple of the Phoenix Suns, I say one of those combinations of one of those years I played in Phoenix was probably my favorite shoe. What was your favorite shoe growing up? Oh, Chuck Taylor's. Oh, yeah. Chuck Taylor's. High top, low top. A high top. The first time I got a pair of Chuck Taylor's, I thought it was the greatest thing ever happened to me in my life. Yeah. When you get those Chuck Taylor's, man, it's the greatest thing. We have uh, one more call. Hi, Charles. I'm calling on behalf of Annie Alberti. She was like your number one fan. I'm her daughter. And she died on October 5th, 2021 at 79 years old. I don't know anyone that gave her much more pleasure than you in listening to you and Ernie on the steam room. She encouraged everybody to listen to that show. I listened to it. My husband listened to it. And there wasn't anything that you said that she didn't cherish. I told her that 
Mike and I, my husband, saw you at the celebrity golf tournament years ago, and I got a fist pump from you. I just wanted to let you know that she loved you so much, and now she's gone. And so when I listen to this steam room, I'll think of her, and I'll be happy. Thank you for giving my mom so much pleasure in her life. God bless you. Bye-bye. Wow. You know, oof. You know, number one, thank you, Mom, and let her rest in peace, and thanks for the call. You know, Ernie, we've had a few calls like that. We had the guy who had PTSD. We had the lady who had lost her job, who listened to the podcast. We had the lady who house burned down in Dallas. And uh, all I can say is thank you. You know, I-, I can't speak for Ernie. I can only speak for myself. When we st- first started this podcast, I was like, yo, man, I don't. I want to play golf. I want to go fishing. I don't want to work anymore. I says I, I love my job at TNT. I love the people I work with. I'm not looking to do any more stuff. You know, Ernie's got baseball, so we got a lot of stuff to do. But man, I, I will say this: because of calls like yours, this podcasting is turning into one of the most fun things I do. And like I say, just piggybacking on what the first two callers. I mean, to have people in different countries listening to us and brighten their day, like for us to bring some joy for a little time every week, I'm glad that we are doing the podcast. Uh, But man, thank your mom for her support. And uh, thank you and your husband keep listening to this this little silly thing we do every week. But thank you. You're right, Chuck. I mean, it's, um, I mean, that's just humbling. I mean, when you hear a call like that. Yeah. We sit in this little studio in here, yeah. just a couple of friends just having a conversation. Sometimes we have these guys like Wayne Gretzky drop by, and, and if you're a sports fan, you're like, wow, the, the story's from the great one. But otherwise, it's just a couple of guys sitting yeah. around talking, and if that provides you with a reason to laugh during the day or you hear a phone call like the ones Chuck referenced yeah. and gives you some perspective on how your life's going. like. She said her mom, we bought her joy. Yeah. And now she listens because it reminds her of mom to bring her joy. Like, you never know what other people are going through. Mm-hmm. Because the one thing I've learned, and I'm getting on all the jocks cases now, I want y'all to realize, man, we are the luckiest people in the world. All these people out there, people have died. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their houses. And we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And we're so lucky to dribble a stupid basketball, throw a silly football, shoot a silly hockey puck, hit a stupid baseball, and make millions and millions of dollars. Man, we're the luckiest people in the world. So appreciate it. Yeah. We have, um, as I like to say, Chuck, get two jobs. Get two. And we get to do this. And when you get calls like that last one, you're reminded that um, we get to do this and maybe it's going to make somebody's day better. Yes. And if it does, then, uh, then we can walk out of here and say, hey, that's a good one. And this was a good one. Yes. In fact, it was a great one. And we're glad you were with us. We're glad to be back, y'all. If you couldn't tell that already. <laughs> Can't wait till next week. Thanks, y'all, for, uh, for listening. And uh, we look forward to another, our next time together. Yes. See you all then. <laughs>